Welcome to the Dermatology Interest Group Association podcast, or DIGA podcast, where we talk about everything from how to become a stellar dermatology applicant to interesting topics in dermatology. From research advice to interviewing tips, you will be prepared to follow the path to become a world-class dermatologist. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Nate Marquin, and on today's episode, we have Dr. Jerry Mamino. He is the program director down in Orlando at Orlando Dermatology Residency Program. And on today's episode, he shares what he looks for in an applicant and what we should be looking for as students to get into his program. With that being said, I'll see you on the skin side. All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. On today's episode, we have Dr. Jerry Mamino. He is going to introduce himself, and I'm excited to hear him um, and have him on the episode. Thank you, Nate, very much for asking me to come here. That's um, a pleasure. I've listened to other of your podcasts. I think this is a great service that you're doing for other medical students getting into dermatology. I appreciate that. Yeah, Johnny Hatch was the first one to start this whole thing. Um, he brought me on, I think, in second year, and his whole thing was being an osteopathic student. Uh, not a lot of our programs have dermatology programs attached and getting this information to students, not just osteopathic students, but allopathic students who don't have MD programs and having that information available. I like to call it distance mentoring. Um, that's kind of how mm-hmm. I, I term the coin a little bit. Um, it's been fun. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, can we tell the listeners who you are and where you're from and why we're having you on here specifically? My name is Jerry Mamino. I'm a board certified dermatologist here in Central Florida, Orlando. Um, I'm see, I'm with Advanced Dermatology. We're one of the nation's largest dermatology groups. And I was it was started by Dr. Matt Levitt. Um, and I joined him after about a year. So he and I then had other people join us and just grew grew from scratch. So it's been a great, great ride. And one of the big reasons we wanted to have you on here is because you're the program director of the Orlando Dermatology Residency Program. And we've kind of started this kind of series of interviewing program directors and having you all on the show and telling us what you think a program or what a student should look for in a program and what you look for in a student. And um, yeah, that's why we're having you on. And I was just curious on, you know, what made you choose dermatology in the first place? Okay. Well, I... During medical school, I entertained other ideas. At first, I first thought about radiology, then ear, nose, and throat, and then OBGYN, which my wife uh, said no to (laughs) for some reason. Uh, But then as a fourth year, I had a rotation in dermatology, a month elective, um, and just fell in love with it. Uh, I realized that I'm a visual person. And I think all good dermatologists are basically visual people. They can see a pattern and recognize it and recall it from their memory and and make an application. Um, I love the outpatient basis. Um, I love the patients aren't sick as as compared to like ICU medicine. Yeah. Um, I love the procedures that go along with it. People that enjoy working with their hands. Dermatology is an awesome field. I think that's something I've learned over the last three years of medical school. Initially, I came in and I was interested in ortho. I knew I wanted to do something with my hands. And then I just halfway through first year realized that the OR life in the hospital really wasn't for me. And I kind of decided, wanted to decide what, where can I take my skills with my hand, my visual ability to, to be a good physician. And we listened to, I listened to an alumni talk about dermatology and that pushed me towards dermatology. So I've been tracking since about halfway through first year. 
and everything you said just like hits it on the on the nose like i went to an im rotation and i was just like, oh, everyone is so sick here and it was just kind of hard to be there every day in the hospital and um so i agree with everything you said my yeah. my next thing I would, I would like to ask and also thank you for your service is you were a military um mm-hmm. i was curious what made you go into the military uh money <laughs> <laughs> They had a uh, program, HPSP program, which I believe they still have today, in which the military pays for your medical school and you graduate debt-free. If if they pay for four years, then you owe them four years. Um, So after I was finished my medical school, I went to Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. And um, I've always been very pro-DO, very pro-osteopathic. Um, just as a side, I, I believe firmly in the osteopathic philosophy of treating, uh, of not just treating the disease, but treating the patient that has the disease. So um, as I finished medical school and I did a year, year of transitional internship, then I started my four years payback with the military and they sent me over to England. Uh, I said I wanted to go to a tropical island, but they said, well, we can send you to an island if you want. So uh, I had chose a, I worked in a clinic as a family doctor for four years, for three years. And during that time, I knew that the military had dermatology residency programs and they have their own whole training system outside the match. So that's uh, my, uh, I, got into, I got into dermatology in, in kind of like a unusual way of going through the military. Mm-hmm. I applied and was selected. Uh, to train in military program. They sent me to Bethesda Naval Hospital. So for three years, I was on loan, even though I was sponsored by the Air Force, I was on loan to the Navy. And had a, it was in Washington, D.C., had an awesome training. Um, across the street from our hospital was the National Institute of Health and the National Library of Medicine. So we had great resources. Uh, we had uh, the President of the United States, the Vice President, Congressmen, Senators, Supreme Court Justices come through our clinic uh, because Bethesda had a great reputation. So we we had a great training. So I, they, I was, go ahead, sorry. I was going to say the actually the person that trained me in surgery, um, Dr. Parlett, was the most surgeon that did the basal cell carcinomas on President Reagan's nose. President oh, wow. Reagan had had several skin cancers. That's so a cool, we, cool little lineage for you to come from. Sure. Yeah. Um, I guess my question for that is, I know quite a few of my classmates and I know other students as well are on that scholarship and are in the Air Force. And it's very difficult nowadays to match right out of school into an Air Force dermatology residency. Um, do you have any tips for people who are on that path trying to get into derm? I think probably your chances are a little bit easier. I mean, if you're an average type of candidate, I mean, if you're above average, your chances are good anywhere. But if you're an average type of candidate, I think your chances are great in the military. The military sees awarding dermatology training as as a bonus. Um, And they want to give it as a reward to people that they feel are good military candidates. So if you do extra, they they have these kind of military courses uh, that that you can... um, educational courses um, like Air War College and um, there's a few other military courses you know that take a lot of time and a lot of studying but if you complete those and get extra training um, that that helps 
if you get also being a good good general physician um helps and getting good recommendations okay for your service um from your commanding officer uh definitely will help your application and also if you if you have vacation time like like when you're in the military there's no elective time because you have a paid job yeah but you do get elective you do get vacation and if you can spend time on your vacation and visit some of the military training programs uh that's certainly i would encourage that i think that's great advice and i think our listeners who are on that path in the military scholarship branch in dermatology will appreciate that as well so i appreciate that so i guess we can kind of dive into our topic of this episode um what made you want to train the next next generation of dermatologists i i've been doing this now i've been doing full-time dermatology for 37 years i counted it up i started my derm training in 86 and i feel i've got a lot of good experience and i'm in the latter half latter part of my career and i'd like to give back i feel it would be a shame to let all this experience go to waste um i also enjoy i enjoy teaching I, I enjoy imprinting the next generation of dermatologists and having it and having part of their being part of their training and it kind of comes down to that like lineage again you're passing on your knowledge so then they'll have that and then they'll pass it on to the next generation and so on and so on and it it's kind of rewarding i've always enjoyed my like mentoring underclassmen or individuals when i was in the military and it was always more exciting to me when i saw people i trained succeed and it felt just so beneficial to me and so rewarding just because I know that I pointed that person in the right direction. And that's probably the same thing as a program director. And now you're producing all these dermatologists in the community that say, hey, they went to Orlando's dermatology program. That's going to be great training there. That's going to be amazing. And that's probably rewarding for you as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. My next question is, are there any cutoff scores for board scores or like publication numbers to get into your program? no there's there's no hard and fast rules okay uh, no what, what i'm going to share with you applies to my program and mm -hmm. applies to how i help to select candidates on on who to interview uh so different programs have different weighted things that they look at mm -hmm. so what i'm saying just applies to me so if if somebody is really interested in a very particular program they should have a conversation with a program director, with that specific program director, and find out what's important right. as they for. So we don't have a. Years ago, we used to use you know like a grading system, but now that the step one, complex and USMLEs are pass fail, we can't do that. So, but there are some things. So you're you're wondering how. What can somebody do for their application to get into our program? I guess is what you're asking. Technically, yeah. And uh, I'm going to use numbers from this past cycle that, that, okay. we've, that we've just gone through. This past cycle, we had 468 applications, uh, which is a lot. And I'm sure, it, and and I'm sure it's not just our program. I'm sure many other programs, you know, had the, the same or, or more applications. I don't know which program you are, but it's impossible to look at all those applications in detail. So every program has got to get some way of narrowing it down. The way that I use to narrow it down is I only look at applications in which a applicant has shown an interest in us. 
there are many, many applicants that just apply to every program across the board. You know, it's just throwing enough stuff at the wall and hoping something sticks. And to me, I'm not going to waste my time looking at application if that applicant hasn't spent some time in showing interest in us. Because uh, why should I go after some top-notch candidate who has not rotated or not contacted us in any way and not shown any interest? So using that, um, the way I look for interest is three things. I look for either if they've done an audition rotation. We have a program set up that we some students can spend a week's audition rotation. Um, and if that's not available or if we're all full, we also have a virtual meet and greet every fall um, in order to um, get help have candidates get to know us and vice versa. And the third way I look for interest is to see if a applicant has signaled us. Through the new supplemental match in dermatology, you have the ability to signal three programs and uh, like your top three programs that you're interested in. And um, and everybody that signals us, I look at them. So between our virtual meet and greet, between our audition rotations and the signaling, that narrowed it down to about 90 applications. Okay. Uh, you know, so, <laughs> so my wife knows um, when it's time to look at applications. <laughs> I have a big stack um, uh, that I bring home because uh, these applications is about 20 pages. So it's, uh, and I just look through each one. Um, and I, I look for applicants that stand out in some way. Um, now, you can also stand out in, in a negative way. Um, so as I review each application, I make three piles. I make a definite yes, a definite no, and a maybe. Okay. Pile. Um, I, I I try to bring it in. In one day, we can our interview committee can interview up to forty people. So I try to keep it forty or below as my final goal. Um, one th one thing I look at is number of publications. I like people that can write mm -hmm. um, and first author type of publications. Not just publications in which you've tacked your name onto some somebody else's work, but first author publications. It doesn't necessarily have to be in dermatology. I just want to know that you can write, that, that you know the whole process. Um, and we can speak about writing later in, mm -hmm. in more detail if you want. Yeah. Um, I also look through applications because there's a, um, there's a place that you can show that if you speak another language. Because I think that that shows an increased intelligence, mm -hmm. whether Spanish or some other language. Um, also, if they play a musical instrument, music is like a language, basically, and and, and that shows somebody that's well-rounded. The um, I look to see if they've done any overseas medical mission trips. Mm -hmm. It was I I like people that give back that that volunteer. Um, especially if you're going abroad, because that's more difficult. Um, that's, and, and, and that shows a higher type of commitment. Right. So, so that stands out. I also uh, make note of people that are either Eagle Scouts for boys or Gold Award for Girl Scouts. 
those are the highest levels. Um, personally, I know, you know I'm an Eagle Scout myself. Um, come from a family of that, and um, and I know that's a high quality person that can get their Eagle Scout or their gold award, mm-hmm. uh, and that says a lot about their person. Also, prior military service stands out. So these are all things that make your application stand out. Okay. Um, if, they, if they've got a high step two score or the USMLE or Comlex, that helps. Okay. I don't think personally, I don't think you need to take both, but some some programs like both. But for me, just one's enough. That's um, good to hear because uh it's stressful for a lot of people to take both, especially the DOs, the osteopathic students to take both to be competitive, I guess. And uh that can relieve a lot of stress. So I'm sure a lot of students will enjoy hearing you saying that. Sure. So for my program, a complex is is is, is all you need. Okay. Now there are some MD programs that have no idea what a complex is. And if you're planning on applying to MD uh, friendly programs, I think a USMLE would help you. So I have two questions to piggyback off that. You stated um, there could be certain things that make you an automatic no, and you don't have to give any specific examples if you don't feel comfortable. But what would be something that's an automatic no that makes you stand out as a no candidate? If like if you've had no no publications, okay, okay, okay. I want to see at least one. No, but having said that, though, if you've got many other things like I've mentioned already that 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 are in the positive, mm-hmm. then then that can put you over the edge. Okay, uh, there's really pretty much the only automatic no is. If you've done an audition rotation and you have a very lousy personality or, or you've offended some of our residents in some way, um, mm-hmm. that's 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 about the only automatic real no that I can think of. Okay. That's, you know, most and that's the rare case. Okay. That's most most people that rotate with us put their best foot forward and are nice residents and are nice applicants. Yeah. I guess my my spin other my spin off of that question is. In your program, you have ties to osteopathic um, tradition and stuff. But if an osteopathic student was trying to apply to an MD program, which or what type of advice would you give that student? Applying to any program, I would the advice is, is to be yourself. Okay. I love that. Be true to yourself. Uh, yeah. Uh, realize that people that you work with are humans. You know, that they're humans just like you. Be friendly. You know, joke. That's okay to joke a little bit <laughs> in, in a professional way, mm-hmm. uh, but be be true to yourself. Okay. Uh, you, as long as you do your best and uh, put your best foot forward, that's all. That's that's all you can do. I think that's such great advice. As students, we're so caught up in the numbers and again publications and and scores and all that stuff, and those are important. But again, then we get into this like robotic phase of a dermatology robot and we forget sometimes people forget to people are human and have that conversation and build that connection quickly and build the rapport and if someone is feeling down feel that with them if someone's feeling happy feel that with them and and like you said make the jokes and enjoy that so i'm glad that you said that and Mm -hmm. that's what i love about this podcast because more of the residents more of the program directors that we're talking to are saying that and it's giving students more ease that i feel because it's giving me more ease and i'm sure it's giving more students ease as well that's good yes uh, a few other things I, I look at almost on my list um, is if you have a uh, MBA, 
if mm-hmm. you've had other training be, be, besides medical school, like an MBA or a master's in public health, um, to me, that's a big bonus. You know, okay. that's, that shows a commitment to education. Also, things that, that, that stick out, uh, for example, if you have a YouTube um, channel or a podcast, you know, I mean, if it's listed on there, I'll, I, I will go online and, and I will look at you. I will snoop well. <laughs> it's like our um, mutual friend who's a comedian. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yes. Nikki. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, one YouTube channel. Uh, uh, she she's a uh, concert pianist and just played amazing. You know, very poised and very enjoyable solos that she had on her pod on her YouTube channel. Um, so do, doing podcasts like like what you're doing, Nate. <laughs> you know, is 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 awesome. Um, I know it's one you one YouTuber. Um, she was a singer in a in a rock band, um, and I was so I was super impressed by her amazing voice. Mm-hmm. You know, so that that really made an impression with me, and and helped her shoot up in my standing. I think again that shows that you're someone outside of medicine, and you're willing to learn something new and put yourself out there. And like imposter mm-hmm. syndrome, you know, we we battle it. Everyone battles it, and putting yourself on YouTube, putting yourself on podcasts that everyone's going to hear for however long it's published for is a little nerve wracking. So again, you're, you're getting out of your comfort zone. And again, I think that'll, I'm not there yet, but I'm pretty sure that'll transition to residency. When things are hard, you'll push yourself out of your comfort zone to be better, to learn more and to succeed. Yes. Another YouTuber um, gives straight up advice to medical, to, to people going into medical school or deciding MD versus DO and mm-hmm. how the process, how to handle work-life balance. Um, and she does a wonderful service. She's yeah, those, very those are good. I looked at those before I got into med school for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so those are metrics that I use. Um, and, and, and the more things that I mentioned show up in application, then the higher, the better chance I'll put them in the interview pile. Okay. Students are going to love that direct information. I love that. Um, my next question, what makes your program stand out? You know, there's hundreds of programs, MD and uh, osteopathic programs across the country. I was curious on what you believe makes your program stand out. I feel our one of our strongest is our faculty. You learn from the faculty and, and we have amazing faculty. I mean, we, we have brilliant people. Uh, for example, uh, Mark, Kauf, Mark um, Kaufman, uh, the current president of the AAD, is one of our faculty and talks to our, our residents on a regular basis. Uh, Matt Levitt, who is an international hair expert. Um, he also founded our program, by the way. Um, and I was vice chair of his, for, for a couple of years, and then he turned it over to me. But Matt Levitt is very involved in our program. Um, and people that are wanting a good background in hair education, yeah, they should strongly consider us. Uh, Jim Del Rosso, he's a DO, uh, a, a national speaker, uh, editor of, of, a, of a journal, um, is, is in charge of our research. In addition, um, if you go on our website, uh, which is orlandodermresidency.com, one word, orlandodermresidency.com, you can see all, all, a list of all of our faculty. What's nice is that we have a great mix of old and young faculty, old people like myself, yeah. uh, 
teach teach from experience. Um, and then we have young faculty that teach from um, who are recently graduated and they know all the board fodder. Uh, they know all the pathways, the, the, the molecules, the chromosomes that they ask on the boards. <laughs> and, and so, so they teach from that book knowledge okay. that they have. So um, our faculty, so we have a large, diverse range of faculty. Um, we have four dermatopathologists, three Mohs surgeons, um, four pediatric dermatologists, um, just a, a wide range. Uh, the other, th another strong point about our program is our academics. Um, I, people who visit us know this firsthand, but I caution people that only apply to our program if you're willing to work, because there we we do put you through a lot of work. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of study, a lot of reading. Um, a, a lot of academic knowledge that has to be assimilated. We provide the structure, of course, but you only you can assimilate it. Mm -hmm. So we want people that are not lazy but are willing to to, to put in the time. Um, I can talk about the academics later okay. um, that we have. Um, we um, we have a. In our program, we also graduate residents that are able to, to hit hit the road running. There are that are fully trained and fully confident. It's a programmed learning with increasing responsibility. The I found the the best way to bring people up to speak quickly is to have them work one on one with a faculty. So every first year for the whole year, they they spend they they move around with different clinics and working with all different faculty. Just getting one-on-one -on -one knowledge, helping them see their patients, and having the faculty point out things, talking about how to treat patients. So they they get that direct feedback. Second year, they start with their own continuity continuity clinic one day a week, where they have their own stable patients that they follow through the two years, last two years. Their third year, they have two days a week of continuity clinic. Um, if residents want a moonlight, they're in their second and third year. They're given the opportunity. You know that's not mandatory, but there's an option if they want to earn some money. They can moonlight in our clinics and get more experience as well. Okay, I think uh, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think that as a student myself and people who are in third year, people who are trying to match this year. We want to become the best dermatologists once we graduate from residency. That's like one of our big things, and I think what you're saying about your continuity, your one-on-one -on -one time the increased responsibility over the years is something that's very, very, very important to a lot of the students to help us become those dermatologists. Again, that we came from Orlando Dermatology and people are going to recognize that and appreciate that. And I think I'll be very appreciative of that and other students are going to be very appreciative of that information as well. Mm -hmm. the, um, our residents also get a ton of surgical experience. Um, as I think I mentioned to you before at our, at our conference, mm -hmm. the, Average the ACGME wants a resident during the three years to have at least fifty surgeries that they, that they've done firsthand. Well, our residents get that pretty much in the first six months. They they fulfill the basics, and after after the first six months, they are fully capable of doing simple ellipses and simple type of surgeries, which is built on as they continue. Awesome. They also have hands on. We have a laser clinic. We have a 
cosmetic clinic with fillers and Botox. Um, so they get hands-on training with that as well. I think that's all awesome. Again, that, that hands-on, that's going to make you better. So, so, and, um, why are, why Orlando, um, our residents like each other. Our, our, our residents have fun uh, after hours. So it, we pride ourselves on the camaraderie mm-hmm. that our residents have together. Okay. Um, finally, the... finally we're Orlando. I mean, we're seven <laughs> of the 10 largest theme parks in the world are in Orlando. That was my so next question. <laughs> if you have yeah. a family, you know, yep. especially with, with young children, it's a wonderful place to spend three years. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask what what do you think about the, the city and the town? But I knew that was coming because you told us you told me that at AOCD. So, um, haven't been there. My mother in law lives out in the villages. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah. So, this summer I'll be out there, and my kids might come with me and my wife, um, depending on traveling and all that stuff. But like you said, my kids would enjoy the theme parks. So, definitely, definitely, they have for Florida residents. They have a very inexpensive, a fairly inexpensive annual pass that's that's discounted so okay. it's that makes it a lot more affordable okay so you know this 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 podcast topic is what a program director looks for an applicant and that's very very important but i was curious on what your thoughts are on the flip side is what a student what should a student be looking for in a program signs of a program signs of a good program i think probably the number one Thing that residents should do um, is to talk to the residents that are in them, that are in the program, and just ask ask the resident point blank, "Are you happy here?" Yeah. I, it's a it's a very simple simple question, and you'd be surprised that I mean that I've I've asked I've I've had a few other applicants tell me their experiences in in some program. You know, it, it, in which residents are unhappy and, mm-hmm. you know, and grumbling a lot. Um, but a sign of a good program is if the residents are happy. You know, that they know that they're being taken care of, that they know they're getting good education, that they know it's not a high stress. Yeah, kind of what we already touched on. And, and then the camaraderie and like the family feeling and then the good area where you can go to all the theme parks. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. Another sign of a good program um, is if they have a large, diverse faculty. Yeah, you know, rather than what one or two doctors mm-hmm. doing all the training, you know, if you have a large and once again, a plug for our website, OrlandoDurhamResidency.com, <laughs> you can see uh, and learn a lot about our, the academics and our faculty. Um, I'll make sure to add that in our show notes so everyone has it. Okay. Uh, a good program should also give residents autonomy and the ability to see their own patients. Uh, you know, we have autonomy, um, but we also have faculty backing them up if the residents need help. I I think my a good program um, is also a larger program. I think a program should have, have at least nine residents in it because residents help teach each other. Resident, uh, the program only has three or six residents in it. I don't think this is good as an education. because all programs of residents help to teach each other so the more you have the better again you have that person you already talked about but someone to lean on when things are hard or you can't you don't know what the diagnosis is and i had this physics teacher when i was at community college say he was like i don't believe in exams so much 
because when you have a, a problem, it's you reach out to a team member and you have multiple heads working together to figure out the problem. And it's not in like five minutes. Usually it may take a day or two. And that's something that I feel like residency is going to have because you're going to have those other residents to lean on, especially as a, a lower classman resident, lean on the seniors to to get the diagnosis or help with the diagnosis and how to chart and how to how to bill and all that other stuff. So I think that's very, very important. The mm-hmm. uh, other important metrics are there, which is easy to find out, uh, is their board pass rate. A good program has a very high board pass rate, mm-hmm. like ours, 100%, you know, but a, a good program should have that. Uh, also, a good program should not be on ACGME academic probation. You know, they should have an un- unlimited accreditation. Okay. So, uh, all very important. Um, and also, how much hands-on experience do the residents get? Some of the, So, some of the signs of a good program, you have to actually visit and talk to the residents, mm-hmm. but some you can look up as well. So, I guess my next question to, to piggyback off that, I know you have auditions. And I was curious if there's spots still available for students who are interesting in, interested in an auditioning at your program. If you would know that, I know Kayla Alvarez is the one, the point of contact for that. Yes, on our on, on our website, there's a contact page where you can fill out a form and it's, and generate an email sent directly to Kayla Al- Alvarez. She's my residency coordinator and right hand gal. She's mm-hmm. excellent at emailing people and keeping in touch. Right now, all of our uh, we have audition rotations for one week slots between June and November. Uh, right now, they're all fi- everything is is filled up. Okay. Um, so, um, but because they're all filled up, we've have starting last year we instituted a virtual meet and greet. Mm-hmm. So people that want to learn want to learn about us. Um, they, you know, Kayla will take their name and let them know when we decide on our date for our fall meet and greet. Okay. It'll be virtual. So it's um, all of our residents and myself will, will be in a room and we'll have breakout rooms with the different year residents. So they, so the, uh, and, this, and the students are broken into small groups. And so everybody is switched around. So you can get a good handle by talking to the residents. There'll be a presentation as well. So just to give everyone a little heads up, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that we're all about being early and being on time, about getting auditions and everything else. Um, so if you're interested in applying, if you're a second year and you're looking for next year, look early, start communicating, um, and just making a plan to look early. Uh, you don't want to miss the opportunity to rotate at a great program. Yep. Yeah, that's... If you've just settled on dermatology late in your fourth year, unfortunately, you're at a disadvantage. Yeah. Um, my next question is kind of getting involved in your program. We know you have the auditions, but I was curious if there were um, possibilities of doing like virtual ground rounds or didactics or finding ways to get involved with research with your residents or volunteering at your program. Mm-hmm. Um, that's done individually with the residents or the faculty. Mm-hmm. So if a student would like to work on a paper or work on a project, they can send an email to Kayla and she can she can forward it to the faculty and residents to see if they have any projects that are ongoing that they need assistance on. Okay. Uh, but we don't have anything formal set up, though. Okay. I guess an answer to your question. Okay, perfect. Um, 
we can get to the final question. I'd love to ask this question because there's different steps for each stage of medical school. But I was curious on your advice for a first year, second year, third year, fourth year medical student matching into Durham. The first two years, I would concentrate on being involved in your Durham interest group at your medical school. I think that's very important. And not just to sign up for it so that you can put it on your application, but Mm -hmm. sign up for it and become involved in your Durham interest group. Um, And I'm going to address now to everybody that's that's in a group that if you're going to have a group, make it active. There are things that you can do as a group that can make that can make a real impact um, on on our society. I, I believe in volunteerism. Like for example, um, I know one group every year they they put on a 5K melanoma run, um, and it's in in conjunction with the uh, mel with the melanoma research foundation. Um, they're on their website. Um, you can contact them and they can actually help. You know, they, they, they do this with a lot of groups mm-hmm. um, as a way of raising money for their support. And they, they will walk you through the steps of how to set up a 5K run and everything that's involved. So um, other ways a Durham interest group can be involved to help us members is to bring in speakers. You know, just ask people, and it could be live, or nowadays, it's very easy to have virtual mm-hmm. speakers. You can have national speakers from all over. You you just have to contact them. Um, also, you can do as a, as a group is to raise awareness of the dangers of indoor tanning, because people our age, you know, have a habit of going to the tanning booths. <laughs> yeah. They need to be aware of that. Um. Uh, and also um, encourage you know, the people in the leadership of Durham interest groups should do some homework and find out where the conferences are, especially conferences that are that that encourage students to attend, and get that information out to your members and encourage members members to go. If you're a DO, uh, you definitely need to go to the annual. AOCD, American Osteopathic College of Dermatology Conference. I mean, it's a great way to network. Most of the program directors are there. A lot of times there are residents there as well. So you can know about programs, get your face known. I 100% agree with that. I've gone to the last two. And I, if you're a DL student, I 100% agree with Dr. Mamina right now. You should be going to the AOCD. Um, try to become a member. Go. There's smaller conferences. You get to clo- you get to communicate and be- form these close knit relationships with people who can be mentors for you for the rest of your life. So, please go if you're a DO student. Yes, the uh, AOCD office uh, like student members. I think I don't, I don't. I think it's free to join as a student member or or, or fifty or, bucks. Okay, fifty bucks. So <laughs> it's well worth it because if you don't get into a program. They're also the first to know if any programs have any open slots um, so they can help you to line up. Um, so also on our AOCD.org website, uh, which, by the way, years ago I helped to design, they have a um, a listing of all the DO-friendly programs mm-hmm. on there. It's on the first tab, um, on the About tab. Quick shout out for Dr. Mamino. If you get the AOCD app that helps with diagnosing certain skin disorders, all the images are his. 
So you'll see his little tag on the pictures, and that's kind of cool to see. So you guys know. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so definitely first and second years, I would get involved in your Durham interest group. So, uh, starting your second year uh, or even earlier if, you, if you're a good writer, but start to write some articles. Um, if writing an article is totally foreign to you, then piggyback on somebody else to help them out so you can learn the process. Um, and then eventually, during your third and fourth years, you'll be, I'm sure you'll have unusual cases, you know, and, and, and almost any type of rotation that you do, you'll have, you'll, you'll have something interesting. Mm-hmm. And if that interests you, write it up. A case report is a very easy way to get published. Uh, that's a way of learning um, that helps your application as well. So if some schools allow you to take a year off to do research, uh, which nowadays, uh, unfortunately, that's good and bad. You know, it's it's bad in that it slows your, it takes yeah. longer. <laughs> you know, it takes a, an extra, it makes an extra year out of, out of your life. But it does make you a stronger applicant having a research year. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I didn't mention earlier. Uh, which is another positive on the on an application. Okay. Um, any final advice for fourth years who are they're matching this year? But if you you're talking to someone at the beginning of their fourth year, what would be the advice for you to give to them besides publications? Visit, visit, and plan early. Plan, find out when the deadlines are to apply for audition rotations. Try to do a week at each program that you're interested in. Um, if you're interested just in one program, try to spend more time there. Try, try to get to know them, but find out who their chief resident is and start a dialogue. Um, so I love uh, it. Yes. But if you wait to your fourth year, that's kind of late. So start in <laughs> your third year. Yeah. We've talked to a couple of students who decided like late in third year and surprisingly that's a little late too, but you know, they've done well and they're the residents now. So that's pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. with, my belief is anything with hard work is possible, but there are some times where just timing doesn't work out if you're too late. So I guess we can wrap it up with any final advice you want to give to the students. It doesn't have to be medical school. It could be life. It could be any advice that you want to give us to close, close out the episode. Getting into a dermatology program is a tall road to climb, a uh, tall mountain, but it's not an impossible mountain. Um, it definitely can be done. Um, some people are... It takes longer. It's a slower mountain. Um, some people have to try again. Um, I, I know a lot of great residents who have failed the first time, but they've been persistent and they've reapplied and visited more programmed and, and they've gotten in the second time. Um, if, if this is really your passion, I would urge you to keep up with it, to, to keep at it. Great advice. Thank you so much, Dr. Mamino and everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. He gave us great advice and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the DIGA podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Please send us any questions or comments to dermeinterestpod at gmail.com. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 